big house of Inver stood high on the central ridge of the promontory of Ross Inver and faced unflinching the western ocean. It might seem that a wish for the sight of the sea and sunsets had been its builder's reason for traversing the usual practice of his country and sacrificing shelter and bodily comfort to scenery and the lust of the eye. But one may be reasonably sure that Mr Robert Prenderville, who built the big house during the last years of the reign of Queen Anne, had not much thought for the beauty of that lay, most literally at his feet. And yet it cannot be gainsaid that he was a man of taste and built a fine house. The probabilities, almost, judging by the family character, one may say that the certainties are that he set his house midway on the long headland, because thence, on the one hand, he could see the coming of the vessels that brought claret from Bordeaux to Western Ireland, and on the other, could take note of the Queen's ships that were nearly as interested as he in the destination of the red wine. Thanks, Jeff. Welcome back to the Country House podcast. Uh, that was the well, an excerpt from the opening chapter of the Big House of Inver, a novel by Irish novelist Edith Somerville and her cousin Martin Ross. Uh, Connor, we're going to talk about Irish country houses today, the uniqueness of them, just like the French have their chateaus and the English have their stately homes. Uh, there is a uniqueness to the Irish country house. And many people are usually surprised by your accent, Connor. And, and I can confirm you are an Irishman. Uh, why don't you lead us in uh, as an Irishman with some history and context of the Irish country house? Well, Ben, the opening uh, quote by Jeff reminded me of Tyrone House on the west coast of Ireland, which now stands in Roon, um, a tall three-story granite structure with coins, which are blocks on the corners, a Venetian window in the center, which is arched with slender vertical windows either side, its tall chimneys breaking its skyline. And it now stands in fields, but of course, once upon a time, it was an estate. And that house, I think, it just came to mind as Jeff was making that opening um, statement, that the Irish country house, unlike the English country house, really started in the early 18th century. Um, it was up until the 1690s that Irish country houses were defensive. They were fortresses. And the first house that comes to mind, at least that which still survives today, is Beauty House in Drogheda. And that was built in 1690s to maybe 1705. The exact date is not really agreed upon. But that marks the point at which the country house, as we know it today, started in Ireland. And I think for that reason, in comparison to an English estate, um, when the Irish estate started in the 18th century, the natural approach to landscape gardening, the placement of a circular folly as an eye catcher. These were taking heed in England and therefore in Ireland as well. And the estates don't have that Tudor history, maybe the Elizabethan history of the landscape coming from something else, more formal gardens. And um, I think that's one of the striking things about Irish country houses. But thinking of where it came from after that, 
the introduction of the Palladian style. So this is looking at Andrea Palladio, 15th century, um, or rather 16th century, Venetian architect, Vincenza, northern Italy. And this architect's work uh, inspired architects in England and Irish architects as well, such as Edward Lovett Pierce. And this man, Sir Edward Lovett Pierce, he was knighted, I believe, just before he died in his 30s. But he designed Castletown House in around 1722. Now, thinking of 30 years prior, country houses were fortresses. They had battlements. They had strong walls, smaller windows. 30 years later, you have this Palladian house. And what marks it out as Palladian is you have the central block. It stands tall above a foundation, a piano noble. It, you, you approach it by steps rising to the central door. You have wings extending either side to the service blocks. These are, and it's completely symmetrical. So these service blocks either side, one is the kitchens, the other is the stables. But you're not to tell that from the outside. They both have the same amount of chimneys, the same placement of windows. So it's symmetry, it's balance, it's order. And this came from northern Italy. But here we see it now in Kildare, in the Irish countryside. And I think that time in in Ireland was the point at which, well, the country house and what we talk about mostly on the podcast came to be. Connor, that's really interesting. And interesting that you touched on Castletown because it links um, very nicely with um, stuff we've talked about before on sort of the, the save, salvation of, of country houses in the latter part of the 20th century. Of course, Castletown was saved by Desmond Guinness, who was perhaps um, the greatest saviour of country houses in Ireland. Um, he, I think, did he found the Irish Georgian Society, Connor, or did he? He did, yes. Um, and the Irish Georgian Society has been instrumental in not just saving, but restoring country houses in Ireland and I think it was 1967 that he bought Castletown uh, which was being vandalised um, terribly and had it restored um, and he gradually reaccumulated parts of the estate and and I think Desmond Guinness only died quite recently and there were some wonderful tributes 2020 he died um, and of course interestingly for someone who saved a lot of Georgian country houses he um, he lived in a castle didn't he Lexlip that's right. Is Lexlip uh, does Lexlip predate the Georgian houses, or is it a Regency castle, Connor? Or, or coming back to the pronunciation, oh, yeah, that I was yeah. So Leakslip is how it would be pronounced in Leakslip, but Lexlip okay. it, it is spelled it's L E I X. Yes. Yeah. Um, interestingly, Leakslip Castle, I believe it's Leakslip Castle, is painted above the fireplace in the entrance hall of Castletown. And this is something, of course, when the house was sold and the contents were sold, this was painted onto the mantelpiece. So of course, it has to stay. And yes, uh, Desmond Guinness saved the house. It was bought by um, a developer only three years prior. And I believe he developed part of the land, maybe sold off part of the estate. But it was destined really to be broken up and this a great house lost if Desmond didn't step in. And they had an army of volunteers, and this was really the beginning of the Irish Georgian Society. It was 
people wanted to say this house was important. It meant a lot to Irish history and heritage. And I think Castletown House tying into that, it's it's fitting that it was the first major house of the Irish Georgian Society and of people volunteering to save it because William Connolly, or rather Speaker Connolly, he was Speaker of the Irish House of Commons in Dublin. When he built it, he wanted all the materials and the craftsmen where possible, but it mostly it was possible, to be from Leinster so that when dignitaries visited they would say, this is amazing. I didn't expect to see such a magnificent palace in Ireland. I thought it was all fortified houses and everything like that. But here, this was showcasing the craftsmanship, the skill of the labour in the county. And it ties back, I suppose, to what we were saying in an early episode about the country house being the ambassador of the county. And Castletown very much is the ambassador of Leinster, as is its neighbour, Carton House, which is now a hotel. And there's a golf course across the estate. That's really interesting, Connor. And I think, you know, I appreciate the uh, the, the pronunciation correction. We, um, For our listeners out there, we've we've had a few conversations off air about pronunciation of certain things. I, I know the pronunciation of English uh, families and, and houses. Um, and I've, I've corrected Connor and Ben a few times off air. And uh, we've agreed to to just do it on air in front of our listeners, so that you know that we're we're not experts necessarily in everything. Um, certainly not. Um, but Connor, it's interesting. Just going back to leak slip, um, which I think I'm pronouncing correctly now. Um, yes. Interestingly, it, it, it it's a perfect example of the of the natural um, evolution of country houses because although Speaker Connolly sort of gave it its regency gothic um exterior the core of the castle is um is norman still it's uh it was built in 1172 and of course the norman invasion in ireland was 1171 making it one of the oldest continuously inhabited buildings in ireland uh predating dublin castle so really interesting that um that it uh it actually withstood a four-day siege by the army of edward bruce in 1316 so it's a really interesting house because it's it is both the the, the norman and the the, the 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 regency um gothic so but uh but i think just linking in i mean the guinnesses are, are have played a huge role in the history of irish country houses they rescued many of the greatest houses in ireland uh some of which are still privately owned and some of which were built by them uh, i'm thinking of course of is it ashford castle which is the most extraordinary um enormous castle um in ireland that's now uh, a very smart hotel um yes uh, ashford castle in kong on the west coast of ireland it's beautiful and it's reached by uh, a bridge uh, a castellated bridge and you get the sense that you're stepping into a fortress over a moat and it, like Leak Slip, of course, Leak Slip on a smaller scale, it is an organic growth over many generations. And I think when you see this, when you see, like Leak Slip, a castle with a Georgian appendage and then a, a Victorian doorway, and it grows as the family grows and adapts over the years, this visual growth that we see in somewhere like Ashford Castle is the epitome of what it's all about. It's a family home. And when the family prospers, they grow. And when they 
when they're just keeping steady, they try to maintain the roof, but then, and sometimes they retract because they can't um, maintain the rest of the the house. Ashford Castle is, uh, I suppose it started as a hunting lodge, as many houses that have become country houses have, and it expanded from that from that point. Um, Castletown, back to Castletown House, that was uh, used for hunting and for shooting parties and all sorts of things like that right up until the mid-20th century when it was sold. But the Palladian tradition, which this is part of, it really started, I think, with Bellamont. Um, this is 1720s. Edward Love Pierce, as I mentioned earlier. Irish houses are more austere, um, more Spartan than their English counterparts. <clears throat> Excuse me. They will have coins on the on the corners, which give the sense of solidity. So you have this block work, climb, um, small block, big block, climbing up the corner of the wall. This gives visual solidity. Um, it may be missing architraves, whereas the English house would have architraves, uh, urns in the corners. And if there is ornamentation or rather architectural, um, I suppose, decoration, ornament, craftsmanship, it is centered on the house. It is around the entrance door and the window above that and above that again. And the windows flanking it either side tend to be quite bare. And I think a gr- an excellent illustration of this is Milford House in County Armagh, uh, County Armagh um, which illustrates how an Irish house generally will have beautiful craftsmanship around the doorway, but the rest of the house, it might rise to a parapet. It's completely plain. But although plain, um, it's not flat, it's textured. So it has lime plaster, it might have a rough finish. And Ireland, unlike England, is taking the Atlantic um, Atlantic weather, and you can see that on the map by the, the jagged edges of the whole west coast of Ireland, and that's reflected in the architecture. It's austere. It's built for taking a battery, and um, it's less refined for that reason. That's really interesting, Connor. I think I was about to say, like, I... Um... I always find it interesting how the houses houses are built to sit within their landscapes. That's why you have the baronial castles in the rugged landscape of Scotland and you have the more austere Palladian houses in Ireland and perhaps the prettier houses in England in the in the slightly softer and gentler English countryside. You get more Queen Anne and um and sort of Regency houses and um and of course English Baroque, my favourite. Um but uh I, I was just thinking, Ben, you um you you perhaps um know you know you yourself acknowledge that you you know a little less about country houses perhaps than connor and i from our background what what's your impression of irish country houses just what what springs to mind when you think of country houses in ireland i i visited i visited a few when i recently went to ireland for the first time ever i can't believe i'd never visited before and there's so much more to explore i mean i was researching that uh uh, at one stage, there were over well over six thousand of these country houses in Ireland, which is a huge number. But something that struck me most, and I mentioned this to Connor separately, I think, was the the parkland or the domain, uh, as they would call it, and how 
it, it was different to the country houses that I was used to visiting. There were a lot less follies and things like that. It was um, it, it was always guarded by a very high stone wall that I found really interesting with a big entranceway. And yeah, the the parkland was the thing that sort of drew me in the most. Uh, is there something about that uniqueness, Connor, and and why that is different to the sort of uh, the gardens that we would expect in an English country house? Well, to any of our listeners who have been to Ireland, they will be familiar with the fact it's raining all the time. So you probably want to spend less time walking around the parkland. And if you do get outside in the small upper, the window when it's not raining, you might reach the garden and therefore the, close to the house. And Ireland is famous. Irish country houses are famous for their gardens, for the, the color, the variety. And in fact, there are houses where, for example, um, Kilmacura House in Wicklow. This house is a beautiful Queen Anne symmetrical house, but it's fallen to ruin and it stands as a shell. But people visit every day of the week to see the gardens and they are maintained and they are loved. And I think that just demonstrates what was the tradition of gardening that was built up over the uh, the two centuries that led to this uh, recognition for Irish gardens. But I think because of the weather, a lot more attention is spent on the inside. So when we move inside an Irish country house, outside is grey and it can be overcast. And so inside, in contrast to that, you will see, and this is integral to Irish country houses, rich colours. You will have the red drawing room, the green drawing room, the yellow drawing room. These are bright colours. These are not subtle pastel tones. These are very much oil paintings in their in their vividness. And although that does occur, of course, in England, it's just everywhere in Ireland. And I think also in interiors, because Ireland is a small island, you have interesting furnishings and furniture and designs that are created on the island. So, for example, uh, Waterford mirrors, which are oval with gilt wood borders, um, maybe with blue and ivory glass studs all around to make it an eye catcher. These are unique pieces made in Waterford and seen across Ireland in the country houses. Um, the tables, scalloped edges, which are quite rough and ready, but they still have a grandness to them. It was the late um, antique dealer, Christopher Gibbs, he called them uncouth. He said uncouth Irish furniture, but he didn't mean that as a, in, dis, in a disparaging way. These are very much sought after. They're beautiful. They're unique to Ireland. And they, they're laid back, but have a grandness about them. And it was only recently when we had just the other day mentioned that it would be a nice idea to talk about Irish country houses and how they compare to English. That I was talking to my friend, um, Robert Holton, and he's an interior designer. And it's just the world of interiors in Irish country houses is fascinating. Um, less polished. And I suppose less, um, what you see at eye level is perhaps less detailed than an English country house. Uh, the moldings where an English country house, when I say moldings, what I'm talking about is the layers 
of carpentry, of, of cornice work, but at the dado level, at, at the skirting board, where in an English country house, you may have three or four layers and there's ornament within that. In Ireland, it's very much more restrained and, and spartan. However, in contrast to that, these ceilings are often incredibly ornate with um, the most incredible plaster work of festoons of flowers and birds in flight and uh, Castletown, back to what we were talking about earlier, the Lafrancini brothers, an Italian family, they came to Ireland to uh, construct the ceilings in that house. And as these were the first non-defensive houses, I think that's the reason the tradition of very ornate ceilings took root in Ireland. And I think even more so than England. You don't notice the ornate ceiling in England as much because it sits within a rather ornate room that you have ornament at eye level fall coming to the floor and into the carpet. Whereas in Ireland, it's really focused on the ceiling. That's really helpful, Gona. And I like what you touched on about Irish antiques. It's interesting having in my portfolio career, I um I've I I um I've dabbled a little in in interiors and antiques um as as a writer for magazines and and so forth. And I um you're right, Irish pieces are highly sought after, especially Irish mirrors. You talked about the Irish Regency mirrors with um with coloured glass around the edge, the rim and so forth incredibly popular and go for vast sums of money at auction um I've, i'm a bit of a um auction addict unfortunately and i i spend my time on all sorts of auction house websites looking for bargains and it's quite hard to find an irish um an irish piece that's that's a bargain hall chairs as well often uh quite austere looking but often with um with the, the coat of arms of the families who had them are very popular um irish piece and of course there are a lot of there are a lot more Irish antiques available because so many Irish houses have either been sold or lost. So there are there are many more Irish antiques available on the market, perhaps than English antiques, or, or of a really high quality. Um, but Connor, you talked about Irish interiors, and I can't. I know we've talked about it briefly before in another episode, but I can't ignore um, one of perhaps the most famous houses in Northern Ireland that. Um, that has the most extraordinary interior because it's known as the Franken House of Ireland. I'm talking, of course, about Castle Ward um, in uh, County... What county is it in? Um, county Down. Um, because Castle Ward was built um, as as two houses stuck together. It, it belonged to Lord and Lady Bangor. Um, and, and they had very different tastes in architecture. So um, Lord Bangor liked classical palladian architecture and his wife lady anne bly liked um strawberry hill gothic style so the house has literally two facades the front facade is classical with with a pediment and pilasters and um capitals and uh typical georgian sashes um the rear facade is strawberry hill gothic um with its og windows and um and finials and battlements um and of course the as connor i'm sure you know that can, that that duality continues inside the house is literally split down the middle and the front rooms when you enter the house you have um beautiful marble columns and a checkered marble floor that's very typical of a classical house then you go through into the into the 
second half of the house and it's got strawberry hill gothic finishes all over the place extraordinary plasterwork and og shaped doors um which for listeners are sort of doors that sort of go up and sort of bend in at the top and then form a, a point like a sort of arch but with a, a pointed arch um but with, with a curve in them um so really really interesting house um and uh, connor we i've got to just talk about two more irish houses um that have meant a lot to me over the years one is lismore castle um which is um the duke of devonshire's irish house so of course that's the family here in chatsworth in derbyshire but they own um lismore castle in county waterford um and it is the most extraordinary uh gothic um mid-19th century gothic house um again with a with a norman core um, it was it was originally built in 1185 and then largely expanded by the sixth Duke of Devonshire in the 19th century. Um, but it is the most beautiful castle with extraordinary grounds, um, and it sits high above a river um, near the town. It's just it's it's a really beautiful house, and the reason why I love it so much um, is uh, well, I just go a bit of history. It, it belonged to. Um, it came into the the, the Duke's Devonshire's family um, when Lord Burlington um, died without a male heir, and his daughter, Lady Charlotte Boyle, married into the Cavendish family. And it was perhaps the the most the the best marriage of convenience that the English aristocracy have ever known, because um, the Cavendish family acquired Chiswick House, which is that incredible um, villa rotunda in Chiswick. They acquired Burlington House, which is perhaps the greatest London townhouse still existing. That's where the Royal Academy is housed now. Uh, they acquired Bolton Abbey, which is a remarkable shooting estate in Yorkshire, um, and Londesborough Hall in uh, in Yorkshire as well. So, so when the Cavendish family married, when when um, when the Cavendish family married into the Boyle family, they got a a, a really good deal. They got lots of lovely country houses. Um, but Lismore is very special to me because, of course, it's where the late Duchess of Devonshire, Deborah Devonshire, um, one of the Mitford sisters, spent a lot of her time. And I'm a great fan of the uh, travel writer Paddy Lee Fermer, who was a brilliant um, travel writer in the in the 20th century. And he was very close friends with Debo, Debo Devonshire. And he um, has a wonderful series of letters that they wrote to each other, which is published called In Tearing Haste, the letters between Deborah Devonshire and Paddy Lee Fermer. And you just read these personal intimate stories of, of life in Ireland um, before, during and after the troubles um, and, and their sort of their stays and some of their fears, some of their excitements. And it makes a really personal, um, it gives you a really personal insight into, into life on an Irish country estate. And that's, that's in tearing haste, um, which is a brilliant book. Um, and I've got to then fast forward because I've got to talk about one last house, Connor, um, and Ben, which I think is really, really good. When I worked at Country Life, it was actually on the cover of Country Life as um, the the finest new build country house in Europe um, in the 21st century. And that is Kilboy House. Um, so Kilboy House is in County Tipperary. And it was originally built in 1771 um, as a really um, quite an austere, but very beautiful Palladian um house for baron donnelly um but it was sadly torched by the ira in august 1922 and it was never restored and ultimately was demolished um and then 
about a decade ago, um, the Ryan family of Ryanair bought the estate and commissioned Quinlan and Francis Terry, the, um, the, the, the renowned classical architects, to rebuild Kilboy House. And it really is, I mean, the most extraordinary house, uh, new build house. If you Google Kilboy House in Ireland, uh, the interiors have been crafted beautifully. Um, the house, if you look at it and then look at the old black and white picture of the house before, it's an almost identical replica. And it's a real testament to how you can create new country houses that will stand the test of time with the finest craftsmanship, the finest plaster work, um, and so forth. Uh, have you, have you, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on that Connor? Yes. Kilboy house is just exceptional, um, example of what can be done today. And I think it epitomizes the Irish country house in that looking at a photo of it, it's unmistakably Irish. Although Irish houses, um, I suppose they became unfortified. Kilboy, like many other houses, still maintains a muscular fortress-like appearance. Uh, to describe it to our listeners, it has, think of it as it's a box. It's really a box with um, three stories over a basement and a central stairs rising to the Piano Noble, which is the noble floor of, um, this is going back to Andrea Palladio in northern Italy. Um, it's very much taken from antiquity as opposed to um, any period since. But um, each window on the Piano Noble is rusticated, so therefore it's it's more muscular, it's more solid and austere. It's not delicate or refined. And um, above the portico, so the portico has a pediment and four columns supporting it. The pediment is the triangular piece projecting from the front, and you have the columns supporting that. And above that, you have square windows <clears throat> You have square windows which are make up the attic story. That is capped by what is very typical in Ireland is urns um, on top of the corners and in the midpoint of the building. And what the urns do, you have this capping line. So when you walk up to the house, rather than having a straight line across and it's a a straight transition between building and sky. You break up that static line, that transition by incorporating sculpture. And in the case of Ireland, that tends to be urns. And um, I forget who said the quote, but it was um, tradition is not the worship of ashes, but the preservation of fire. And, like in Castletown and Rusborough House, another great Irish house, these urns a lot of the time have a flame rising from the top. Now, of course, the flame is in stone and it's solid, but it has a, a movement to it to suggest it is a, a, a burning torch. And I think that quote really does tie in nicely to these houses because the urn contains the ashes of their ancestors, but the flame continues to burn. Um, so the, it's, it hasn't uh, been extinguished. When you step inside this house, although muscular, austere, spartan, fortress-like on the outside, when you step in, it becomes delicate, refined, um, it becomes mannerly and polite. And this is what you see in a lot of country houses across Ireland is the ornament um, 
on the ceilings, as I was mentioning earlier, the the birds of flight in the stucco work. Birds of flight are completely the opposite of a fortress, opposite, opposite of um, that strength and solidity that you see outside. So there's very much a difference between the inside and outside world. And the house is a sanctuary from the overcast, um, wet, inclement weather that is is outside almost five days of the week. I'm conscious that we're um we're running a little short on time and we haven't even touched on um mid-sized Irish country houses. Uh we may have to save these for another episode. Um because Ireland has a plethora of sort of stately homes in miniature which perhaps England lacks. Um because of course England you you talk Connor about how um it was quite late on that Irish houses stopped being fortified fortresses and started being um, ornamented country houses. Whereas, of course, in England, uh, it was really at the end of the Norman period that houses stopped being um, fortified and started being um, just um, places to live. So so whilst we have a, a, a rich variety of, of Tudor and uh, medieval country houses as well as of course elizabethan and jacobean houses um ireland lacks those because it kind of went straight from castles to to palladian or um georgian country houses um and so whereas we have a lot of medium-sized manor houses that might be elizabethan or tudor um ireland their 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 gentry um would have built medium-sized uh, classical houses and Connor, I know you mentioned this before we we went live um, there's a great book isn't there Connor about the medium-sized country house which essentially is sort of a, a classical house in miniature I think think bigger than a Georgian rectory but smaller than a stately home what's the book Connor yes it's called Irish houses of the middle size and it's by Morris Craig and it's excellent in its description and its illustrations of Irish houses and on the cover is I think a house that does encapsulate this middle size house, which is called Ledwitz Town House. And as a typical Irish house, it has its the main floor, so the piano noble, is reached by a flight of stairs. And although its size is perhaps closer to um, a, a grand farmhouse, it still has a lot of the elements that you see in the grander houses. So here is this um, three bay, so three windows wide house, yet it's reached by a flight of stairs. So it adds this grandness to it. Um, the facade is plain. There's no architraves around the windows. There may or may not be coins on the corners. And it rises to either a simple cornice, no cornice at all, and quite typically a parapet to cap it off. What the parapet does is it it really hides the roof and uh, just creates a flat facade. Now, like the grander houses, there is ornament craftsmanship around the door, so you'll often see a beautifully uh, crafted stonework a door case, which has a pediment, maybe a fan light. The fan light is the window above the door, which brings light into the hallway. And these houses are scattered all across Ireland, um, particularly in Tipperary, Kilkenny. And um, they are of a size, They, I think for the most part, they didn't fall into decline or ruin because of their size. 
um, they're manageable. There's not as great a cost to the upkeep as the grander houses. And so in the 20th century, that was their blessing. Well, I think that's a, a good place to, to finish. I've learned so much about the Irish country house. Uh, as you can hear, I, I haven't been talking as much <laughs> in this episode. I've been uh, happily sitting back and, and listening more. But I have, as requested by some of our audience, been taking notes, show notes, uh, so every house we've talked about, you can look in the description and uh, have a look, reference it and go and have a look. And I, I should say too, to finish, um, something else that struck me about the Irish country house is something Connor touched on, which was the rich color palette. And as a sort of gateway, if you're interested and want something easy to watch, Architectural Digest did a great um, piece following Dominic West and Catherine Fitzgerald taking a, a tour, a video tour around uh, their home, Glyn Castle in Ireland. And in there, you just, you get a great sense of those beautiful blues, greens, yellows, uh, painted walls and, and uh, the antiques and, you know, the uniqueness of it, the ruggedness of it. Uh, it's a really beautiful house. But thank you for listening. Thank you for the reviews as well. We've been blown away by some of the reviews. We read each one and I'm very grateful for your support and uh, join us next week. Goodbye.